I have an inherent distrust of all of my senses. <laughs> and Apparently. so even little things like that, <laughs> I don't trust. I don't trust. I am a supremely flawed epistemological tool. <laughs> Woo! All right. Good, good way to start things off. <laughs> all right. All right, so welcome to Office Hours with Dr. C. Uh, I'm Dr. C, and I'm joined today with my good friend and producer, Barry Thornburg. Hi, everyone, or 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 both of you, but yeah, depending on how many people we have in our audience, it's our moms. Yeah, um, <laughs> but not even their full attention. It's them while yeah. they like do other stuff. <laughs> you know, they're helping drive the algorithm, but they're not. You know, really, it's certainly not our dads, but maybe our moms. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so why do you know so much about me? Because we are very close to the same person. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about empathy today, not not to be confused with empathy, which I'm not I'm not sure what that is, but I keep pronouncing it that way. Uh, empathy <laughs> is the idea that um, uh, it's a common it's a portmanteau of him, obviously in the gender pronoun, uh, but also empathy, right? So we empathize with men, and in particular, we empathize with men when they do egregious, terrible, god awful things. So if you're wondering what this looks like in time and space, um, think about if you've ever known someone, uh, maybe a, a man who engaged in rather poor behavior, maybe abusive behavior, mm-hmm. or you know, being a petulant child, even though they're a grown-ass adult, and someone <laughs> makes someone rationalizes their their behavior as like, oh, well, you know, they've had a really hard life, or you know, they were uh, they've been through a lot recently, they've been under a lot of stress, that kind of thing. But we mm-hmm. also see this in the news, we also see this in pop media. So whenever um, young white men uh, commit acts of uh, mass murder in public, like a school shooting or a theater shooting or something along those lines, um, there's always this question of like, well, maybe they're struggling with mental illness, even though there's no mental illness uh, mm-hmm. in the DSM mm-hmm. that is uh, you know, characterized by like public acts of mass violence. Um, or, you know, uh, you know, they say, well, they were bullied or something, as though that's an excuse. And so we, we do this a lot. Uh, with uh, well, with young I men. mean, mm-hmm. to to a certain extent, I I have to say that it's it's not. I don't. I have a hard time thinking that it's overall bad practice to try and understand right. the motivations behind people. Mm-hmm. But clearly, that is not afforded everyone in the same way. And mm-hmm. and like in the case of mass shooters, like like you were uh, talking about, like. If if all we're going to look at is whether or not they were bullied and try and use that as the excuse, we're not we're not tr- we're not really fairly trying to paint a, a full picture. We're also not getting into the ideological motivators that were <laughs> driving the the behavior as well. Like, uh, I mean, how many of the school shooters that we have in the United States in the last 10, 15 years have, you know, ties to uh, Nazi ideology, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, we can talk about them being bullied, but what are they also turning to that drives their behavior as well, you know? And, and that's, a, that's an excellent point. When we talk about empathy, we need to be clear that we're, the definition that we're operationalizing here, or the definition we're using, is that we're not, in, in, the, the, in the use or application of, of, of uh, empathy, we're not trying to understand them so much as we're trying to rationalize their behavior Mm-hmm. And that this is also something that we do not afford to usually young people of color, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, you take like the um, language of the 1990s and the the 
uh, infamous crime bill and all that kind of stuff of the super predator. Um, yeah, you know, right. young, hollow-eyed uh, black boys who, you know, are just as soon to, um, you know, carry a Glock as like a bag lunch, right? Right, right. There's no, not even the facade or an attempt at, you know, recognizing their humanity. So instead, right. so uh, empathy is on the one hand dehumanizing because it's not actually trying to understand this, uh, the behavior of these uh, young troubled men who, you know, do these terrible things like mm-hmm. shoot up schools. Um, and at the same time, it's also trying to rationalize the behavior as them being victims. Uh, and this actually gets yeah. into a larger discussion, which we'll need to cover another day of like how masculinity becomes both victim and savior at the same time. It's all kinds of wild. But for today, <laughs> I especially want to talk about this in terms of like we do this in pop media as well. Right. How many origin stories do we have of men who are wronged or who have lost something, usually a family or a loved one, something like that. And so that is used sure. to justify what is essentially murderous behavior. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like uh, most recently, what comes to mind is like the Punisher for me or even Batman. Right. Who is defined Batman, yeah, in was... many cases by his trauma. Right. Right. I mean, that that's kind of you can't tell a Batman story without referencing that past. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or um, in the case of the Joker. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Where he is and, you know, understanding that there's n- not really a canonical origin story, but a lot of them, a lot of the origin stories around the Joker boil down to he had, you know, a bad life and it led to a particularly bad day. And that's why he is the way he is. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so the the problem with this is, um, oh, uh, the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is actually yeah. a really good example of this as well, right? Um, let's skate past the fact that he was a child who was cursed uh, uh, <laughs> by, or he's like someone under the age of 18 or something like that who's cursed by, by a witch. But, um, you know, he is this sympathetic character. And for anyone who's not familiar with this particular element of life, uh, women who are taken in by physically violent and emotionally abusive men um, don't usually have a happy uh, ever after story yeah. right <laughs> like pretty well, well. It, mm-hmm. and there's also uh, you were referencing this but i'll just say it uh kids can be real jerks i mean come on <laughs> no that's that's fair um and I, as a, I had a Bible teacher one time who said, if you want to observe the sinfulness of man, watch a three-year-old. And I, and as someone who's raising a toddler, that's not far from it. So, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, um, like Pretty Woman, right? Pretty Woman is a modern adaptation of uh, Beauty and the Beast. I say modern. Mm-hmm. It was made in the 90s, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, no, almost 30 years ago. Uh Oh gosh! Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, but that's a modern adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. And in real life, when uh, when wealthy businessmen have um, you know prostitutes and or employ the services of sex workers, it doesn't necess- It doesn't go that way, right? It's not a happy ever, uh, happily ever after kind of thing. So right, right. And the problem is that this um, bleeds back into reality, right? We see this with instances of like you know domestic violence or abuse, where mm. you'll hear survivors talk about and you know, try to rationalize this sort of behavior. Um, you know, I've been mm-hmm. doing some work with folks, uh, you know, some, some of our uh, colleagues, and you know, yeah, and some of the stuff you find in, in the research is that yeah, often they'll try to rationalize the behaviors of these men. Oh well, you know, they had it real hard, or they're just tough, or, or things like that, because we again go out of our way to make sure that. Um, men are represented as uh, essentially 
rocks with arms, basically, right? <laughs> the emotional intelligence of stones in some cases as being a, a, a valorous, uh, uh, you know, character trait. Yeah, yeah. It's stoic, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stoic, stony-faced, uh, you know, tough guys who, you, you know... Un unyielding to, you know, the, the silly, the emotional side of things. We're just not as affected by those things, right? Right, right, right. Um, but also we murder people, uh, often the people we love. So yeah, no feelings but rage. But you take like a character like um, any sort of archetypal uh, hard-boiled detective trope, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. Dirty Harry or, you know, one of my personal favorite variations being Rorschach from The Watchmen um, or even one who's slightly, you know, better adjusted. You look at uh, some of the guys from like CSI. Um who are sort of like softer versions of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, Dick Tracy was part of that as well, right? E exactly, right. So like these people, if you make them into like fully dimensional human beings and put them in the world, they're not good people, right? Yeah. They're dealing with a lot and they are likely going to lash out uh, in violence with uh, other folks, at least according to the data, and probably engage in some sort of substance abuse because they have untreated trauma and, and deeply need therapy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, and then of course the question is, well, like what, what is this teaching our kids? Because on the one hand, while yeah, media is not, uh, we're a long way from the hypodermic needle, uh, theory of, of media mm -hmm. effect where for those who don't know in the 1940s through about the 1960s, uh, we thought that if you just inject media into people's brains, it'll essentially brainwash them. Right. Uh, we're a right. long way from that, but we do understand that it does have effects, right? It's why we have these discussions about, you know, what is cultivating, um, you know, sort of aggression or hostility mm -hmm. and that sort mm -hmm. of stuff in our cultivation youth. theory. Right. That's, uh, that was what the nineties that was developed particularly say that again cultivation theory yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that was that was mostly uh centered around tv right wasn't it like that was where it was first thought of as like um the the media messages we have within television tell us uh, you know, basically help us uh sh shapes the way that we view the world so if we're watching television that um, paints the world as um, dangerous and full of criminals and full of things that we should be worried about and scared about, then that's the way we're going to view the world regardless of what our personal reality really is, right? No matter how safe or, or well-adjusted our, our community is. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So like um, media cultivation theory, uh, one thing that stands out to me about that, well, two things that stand out to me about that. One is that um, they defined heavy, consum heavy consumption of TV as four or more hours a day. <laughs> that's a light day for a lot of us. Right, yeah. uh, but it was specifically designed uh, or designed for TV. That being said, um, you know if we apply that now, mo more modern adaptations, we consider like all the media consumption, right, that we engage in. And actually, there was a study done, I think, in 2015 that found that um, was it University of Southern California, I want to say, said mm. that um, you know humans on average consume like 30 gigabytes of data um, in media mm -hmm. consumption per day. Uh, mm -hmm. On mm -hmm. average, not, you know, obviously there's people who do less and people who do much more, but like if for perspective, 30 gigabytes of uh, data is like I have a 30 gig iPod that if I let it play on end uh, without repeating will play for three days, right? That's wow. the amount of information that, that the average American consumes. And so, you know, it's it's foolish to think that that doesn't have some kind of effect on us. But yeah, and the other thing about this though um, that came out of 
uh, media cultivation theory was that uh, heavy consumption of TV, in this case four plus hours a day, leads to uh, the development of mean world syndrome, right? The idea that uh, the world is inherently dangerous and full of criminals and that kind of thing, and we're all on some level, like just a couple of steps removed from a dystopian nightmare where, where, you know, <laughs> gangs and warlords rule the world. Um, I'm sorry to tell anyone that, that's that, never happened. Yeah. No, never, well, I'm sorry to tell no, anyone. No one's ever, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly that's never had an effect on people. Yeah. Just as a side note, it, remi- it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes about national borders. And that is that a border is just a agreed upon place where two gangs uh, agreed to stop fighting. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, that that idea, and and you see it uh, with you know people who ha- who watch heavy you know news you know Fox News, uh, MSNBC, CNN, any of the cable news networks, that kind of thing. Um, that sort of heavy consumption that like oh the world is so very dangerous. Oh the world is we're actually a lot safer than we've been in a very long time, mm-hmm. um, and probably almost like a generation or two. I think that since the late. 80s, early 90s, we've been on a, a downward trend of crime, um, generally speaking. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, but again, that's not you know the that's not the world that's reflected on TV. Peace and quiet doesn't you know sell ad yeah. space, right? Well, and and it makes me think about something that you and I were discussing uh, prior to uh, today's episode that um, it it leads to a. I would say a, I don't know if this is the right way of describing it, but like a a false sense of what common sense is that like this, you know, society, if we are all consuming to some degree these messages, then we are all coming to a similar consensus on the state of things or, or just in general. So. Um, it doesn't take much for me to reference the way things are today for us all to kind of have more or less a a general understanding of what I'm referencing, right? And so Mm -hmm. if I, if I reference the way things are today in a certain tone, then everyone understands I'm talking about the doom and gloom narrative that we all just kind of uh, accept as true. Right. And, um, it, it, well, the, the, the power that there is in, in that ability to get people to just come to a consensus about something that, more or less has its own flaws is is rather uh i don't know kind of troubling but uh, taking it back to to what you were uh first talking about with uh you know empathy it this this idea that um we have a backstory we have a rationalization and a justification sometimes for uh male bad behavior if fed to us over and over again, are are you bringing us around to to saying that there might be some uh, cultural impact where we're all just kind of generally accepting bad male behavior? Is that I mean, is that where you're leading us? Because that's what I feel like you're leading us to. Kind to, of a, a little bit. I'm I'm going in and uh, I'm sort of circling back to two points. And one is like you say, we we do often justify um, you know poor male behavior. I think the phrase "boys will be boys." Right, mm-hmm. which is used mm-hmm. to explain, um, you know, how young boys interact with each other. Uh, you know, often, you know, ex- uh, excusing, um, you know, instances of physical violence, that kind of thing, or being Hazing rough and tumble and, with each yeah. other. Right, and more than just like playing. Don't get me wrong; I'm all about, you know, that's 
kids, you know, being rambunctious and whatnot is one thing, but like <laughs> being mean to each other is another that we sometimes, or we often excuse, uh, particularly as it relates to girls, right? I mean, how many girls were told that, oh, he picks on you, that means he likes you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing. So we, we it's, it's one tool in a list of, in an arsenal of uh, ways in which that we excuse the behavior uh, of young men. Um, and old men for that matter, right? Because we do this with, with uh, like, it is a, a, a god-awful thing that a lot of folks have to live through, but a person's trauma doesn't justify being mean or hateful uh, mm-hmm. or, or violent, that kind of thing, right? Or damaging others or inflicting more trauma on others, right? Or on themselves for that matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. Um, the other thing is that it becomes imbued with this kind of morality, particularly within pop culture. Now, when we think about it in the school shooter sense, we're thinking, oh, well, what they did is a terrible, god-awful thing. Absolutely, no equivocation, it is wrong. When it comes to pop media, though, we uh, see that people engage, we see that men engage in um, these acts of mass violence, and we uh, ascribe a certain moral virtue to it. Right, so uh, for anyone who's not familiar, there's a term called fridging, and fridging is where a woman is um, usually, it's, she's murdered, but usually in a particularly horrifying way. And actually comes from comic book, uh, 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 it's a comic book trope. Um, I think it was a Green Lantern story, was it the 80s, I wanna say? Off mm. the top of my head, I think it was the 80s or 90s. Um, but fridging, basically, uh, the Green Lantern came back to his home, to his apartment, and his uh, significant other, uh, she had been murdered and stuffed into a refrigerator, hence the term fridging. Ugh. And this okay. like prompts him to go on a, a crusade against the guys who who did this and that kind of thing, right? It's the use of uh, violence against women in order to pro, uh, prompt male stories, right? Sort of get them going. Mm. Um, the, the the other one that comes to mind is like uh, Charlie Bronson, Death Wish. Right uh, or the the Bruce Willis remake, right? So uh, he loses his family and he goes on a murder spree. Um, it's it's a trope that honestly you you see all over the place. Um, and in and the idea, so it's it's kind of mm-hmm. like, um, it's kind of like the save the cat sort of story trope where you get you make your hero likable by getting them, even though they're problematic, um, you you get them to like help a little kid out at the beginning of your story so that we all understand, oh, he may be a horrible person, but he's not all bad, you know? And, and so we we can get behind this guy who is, in, in you know, innately kind, but does terrible things by, by yeah. showing the audience early on. So, like, what you're saying is, like, fridging is a term that's applied to, like, this story uh, vehicle that we do some terrible, horrible thing to a mm-hmm. significant other of our hero that then justifies our hero to go be a really violent and erratic and scary person later on. Just a is, real is that what you're jerk. saying? Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Okay, cool. Pretty much. And so um, fridging dovetails very well with empathy, right? Because uh, we, are, we then have this emotional connection to the character uh, who uh, we ascribe a certain righteousness to because they're reacting to pain. And we value this idea of like, well, if you're acting in a position of pain, that legitimizes things like revenge, mm-hmm. um, you know, that sort of thing. So like, uh, oh, Law Abiding Citizen is a great movie uh, if you haven't seen it. Are you familiar with it? I haven't seen it? it, no. So it's Gerard Butler screwing with um, the legal system for 90 minutes uh, It's and, and <laughs> just murdering people left and right as he does okay. so. The basic premise is um, he was uh, some sort of, you know, 
government, uh, some sort of government agent, something along those lines. He worked for the government, did intelligence, did like spy work or whatever, and and also um, Mm -hmm. was proficient with uh, uh, weapons and that kind of thing. Anyway, his family, like his wife is like brutally raped and killed in front of him, and his daughter is, you know, murdered during a home invasion. They rob him and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, the... It goes to court, and this is all in like the first 10 minutes. Uh, it goes to court, and then um, the guys are like, one of the guys is locked up, the other guy takes a plea deal, that kind of thing. But the guy who yeah. gets locked up also takes a plea deal, so he gets reduced time and all that kind of stuff. And so he's he's pissed about the what he considers to be a, a gross miscarriage of justice because he wants them to be fully prosecuted. And he even yeah. says, if this had just been tried without taking a bargain deal and it had lost, he says, I could have lived with that. But you took a deal. Um, because you were really not interested in them or the pain that I suffered, right? You weren't willing to try on my behalf. So he spends the rest of the movie um, just murdering people uh, uh, associated with the um, associated with the, uh, the the court case. So like the judge, the lawyers, that kind oh of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it, it's a good movie. Um, I liked it. I enjoyed it. But um, yeah, like at one point he just straight up has someone executed. Uh, who did what, what they did was wrong, certainly, uh, in the in the context of like not abiding by the wishes of um, or not not, you know, fully carrying out the, the legal system to, or, or performing their duties in the way that he saw satisfactory. Yeah, they seem to like shirk their responsibilities and take a, an easy way out when it came to dealing with the case, but also didn't warrant being murdered. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> car bombs are rarely. Uh, a a appropriate avenue for redressing wrongs, um, <laughs> but you can't not feel sympathetic for the guy. At least I couldn't. I, mean, I was like, oh, sure. yeah, yeah, hey. yeah. The way the way the story frames it, absolutely. Yeah. It's also Gerard Butler, and it's hard to not like Gerard Butler. You know, at least for me. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. And again, I, people will say, well, you can't have perfect characters. That doesn't make for an interesting movie. No, and that's entirely fair. That's entirely fair. It's that we also reinforce this behavior through our news and through our interpersonal dealings mm. um, that I find particularly problematic, right? Uh, or, you know, that's a, that's a real trouble. So, like, again, the next time that we see a um, school shooting happen, which uh, is one of those reasons, it's, it's one of those things that, like, sort of hovers in the background of this whole, like, do we put kids back in school amidst the pandemic mm-hmm. that kind of thing, right? Um like we'll see it happen again. There will be another uh, uh, explanation that like, oh, this young man was troubled, particularly if he's white. Um, this young man was troubled or he was bullied or something along those lines. Um, they talked about that a lot when it was the uh, the uh, Parkland, Florida shooting, if you remember mm-hmm. that kid. You know, mm-hmm. people talking, well, he came from a hard home uh, and he was, you know, he, he didn't fit in and he was bullied and this, that and the other and, uh, and that kind of thing. As though... Again, they're not really trying to understand the kid. They're just trying to like pat him in this particular way. Oh, another one uh, that came to mind: Brock Turner. The, the yeah, the, totally right. Because like when it came out that he sexually assaulted a woman um, in almost broad daylight, right? Right. Uh, he like the the news stories were like, well, you know, he's a he's a promising athlete and you know future and this that and the other and and like none of that matters at all. Right, right. Right. That has no relevance to the case at hand. Um, he was a sexual predator who did a terrible thing. And by the way, that empathy got him a reduced sentence. 
right? Instead right. of uh, serving jail time, he was on house arrest for what, six months? Like six months, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, because we would hate to ruin his future or something like that, right? Like that was kind of mm -hmm. the the ju judgment there. Well, and in contrast, I mean, we're, we're we see as well what, um, the the case in was it Dallas or Fort Worth? I think it was Dallas. Uh, the the off duty police officer who um, entered what she thought was her own apartment shot yeah. up a guy, and yeah. you know that that whole deal. Mm -hmm. Well, you know it didn't take long before the media decided, okay, let's let's go dig up the past of this guy who was killed by this police mm -hmm. officer, and oh, he you know apparently has used. Uh, you know, marijuana once or something. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't remember the extent of it, but it was rather uh, benign anyways, and it didn't even matter for what happened. A man was shot in his own home. Yeah. And uh, as a society, we're trying to justify why that was okay. You know, yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. It's, he was somehow worthy of being uh, ambushed by someone in his own home and... Uh, okay, like mm -hmm. simply well, because we're not willing to, you know, we're, we're not willing to accept that this could have been uh, an egregious error at the least, if not just a, if not an intentional um, execution, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and and that also gets to this um, the thing about like uh, the, the one that comes to mind is uh, Tamir Rice. Um, mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm, who was mm -hmm. murdered in, in Ohio um, by law enforcement. And if you've never seen the video, don't watch it. It's horrifying. But um, I did because I was an idiot. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that sticks with you. But it, when you watch it, the cops rolled up. And within three seconds, literally three seconds, they were out of their cars, guns leveled and fired. Right. Um, because they had a report that a young black child was playing with uh, a what looked to be a BB gun. Right. Um, and so, and yeah, and so, and, and in the stories surrounding that, people were like, well, you know, what was he doing playing with a BB gun? I, I, you know, I grew up in the country. I know dozens of kids who grew up playing with BB guns and it was yeah, never yeah, yeah, yeah. an issue, I, right? I grew up in the city. I grew, <laughs> Yeah. I, I myself walked around with a BB gun throughout my neighborhood. Like, yeah. it's I, a thing. I, I, uh. Bef by the time I was 18, a lot of my friends were firearms proficient and they were children, <laughs> right? Um, but they were white kids growing up in the country. And of course, you know, the, that there's a, a particular narrative that does not allow for the humanization or even the shallow humanization, the, the, the shallow use of empathy uh, in any sort of rationalizing way um, for, you know, uh, young folks of color. So, yeah, I mean, Tamir Rice was murdered by police. Um, and no one was coming to his defense like, oh, well, you know, he was just mm -hmm. a kid or anything like that. Or, you know, the, the, uh, a lot of the news circulated or focused on, you know, what is, what was his home life like? You know, why was he out here doing this? Where were the parents? Well, the, if the parents weren't watching him, then he was like a lot of other kids, millions of other kids in the country whose parents aren't watching them at all times. They just go out and they play and they do kid stuff. Right. right. Um, so yeah. Well, it, and it's, it's not to say that it, like, we're only looking looking into the backstories of of these uh, white men who who did egregious things. We're doing that as well with these other other people, but we're doing so to try and justify what what had taken place mm -hmm. in in the same way. So, I mean, if if people complain that like 
it, it seems rather one-sided in in like our critique of things and the way the media is working well yeah because it is one-sided yeah <laughs> yeah it is anyway but yeah so that's that's the thing is um you know empathy did not start on the screen but it has been a, a major component of our storytelling and it does reinforce cultural notions of who is deserving of sympathy and the sort of um, either moral justification or uh, the moral vindication and superiority of an individual who enacts a degree of violence. Um, or, you know, like I said, in other mm -hmm. cases, just excusing, uh, you know, violent acts um, because you can be, you can empathize with someone and also hold them accountable. That is a thing, right? Yeah. But, but empathy doesn't allow for that.